So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Hear the word of the Lord. My dentist's digital contact with his patrons is pretty amazing. Primary contact is through cell phones. There are alerts, there are updates, there are reminders. If you would like to get an appointment through a potential cancellation, there's back and forth that goes on all the time. It's fascinating. The clientele is responsive, going back and forth a lot. How could anyone miss any appointment in that practice, although I'm sure there are appointments missed. This morning's message is a word from God that is the equivalent of an important notice of a pending appointment. But a pending appointment like no other. The more we think about that appointment, the better that appointment is going to turn out. Some will experience shame and regret and a sense of remorse. Others will find the joyful affirmation of Matthew 17, 6. This is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It is saying a lot, you know, because in a lifetime we have a lot of appointments. None like this. This will be the most important appointment of our lives. All of us who claim Jesus Christ as Savior will have this appointment. It will be the most honest and straightforward accounting that we will have ever received and nobody will get out of it. Let me ask you this morning as we begin looking at Romans 14, 10, 11, and 12, let me ask you, how's that appointment going to go? How will your appointment go with a living God at the end of your life? How will my appointment go? Romans 14, 1 through 12. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. And the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live 
We live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the logic of Romans 14, 10, 11, and 12 is simply this. Why are you judging your brother? They aren't practicing the faith right. Look at them. That was last week's message. When there is only one judge, and it is not us, it is a judge of all the earth, the one before whom we shall stand to give an account in the end. So since there's only one judge and it's not us, our role is to judge ourselves and not to be involved in judging others. Now this morning to look at Romans 14, 10, 11, and 12, I want to go two different directions. And first, I want to encourage you with a bright future that is before us. And secondly, this is a bit more sobering. I want us to anticipate this meeting, this appointment with our Lord and be ready for it as we anticipate it. First, for the people of God, the future looks great. Did you note that? Look at verse 11. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Here the apostle Paul quotes Isaiah, who wrote this 700 years before Jesus was born. Anyone need encouragement this week? Oh, he's here. The future looks dark. Eric, I mean, let's face it. Eric, the election was bad news bears. What's that got to do with our perception of the ultimate end game of God who is bringing all of the world to recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord? Is that not what Isaiah is getting at? In Isaiah 45, 23, that Paul quotes here. Now consider our great future with these two points, and let's be encouraged. First, we must adopt a biblical vision of what is to come. What is the controlling center of your view, of my view of the future? In Proverbs 31, 25, it's said of Lady Wisdom, and I've mentioned this to you before, that she smiles at the future. Is that us? Or do we have foreboding thoughts about the future? Look at chapter 13 and verse 11, just across the page. We were here several weeks ago. Besides, you know, that, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Do you realize that our hope is one week closer to be realized than it was last Sunday morning. 
That's encouraging. We're getting nearer and nearer the moment when our faith becomes sight and we see him and become like him. Our redemption is getting closer. Isn't it wonderful to think the thought that no one is wringing their hands in heaven? We are headed back to Eden. After that first Easter morning, life could now not be more pregnant with hope for the follower of Jesus Christ. Since that's true, what in the world are we doing wringing our hands with super dark thoughts about the future? We must adopt a biblical vision of what is to come. Notice, secondly, he gets specific. The whole world will come to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, and they will bow down. Think of Philippians 2.10. Every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. In light of this, think of what Jesus said on the most troubling night that the disciples ever spent with him, the night of his arrest. He starts out in John 14 and says, let not your heart be troubled. Anybody come in with a troubled heart this morning? Anybody afraid? He goes on in chapter 14 and verse 27 to repeat that. Let not your heart be troubled. And he adds this, neither let it be afraid. Many are consumed with troubled hearts, with anxious thoughts full of fear. And here is Jesus calling us to himself inviting us to look forward to the great day when God reveals his son or what the John said that day revelation 11:15 when the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our Christ and he shall reign forever and ever we're headed for the consummation of all things if you're a star wars freak in Star Wars parlance, this is our destiny. To recognize with the whole world, the king of all the earth, Jesus Christ our Lord. Are we living like this is true? Is it affecting our spirit? Now there are two ways that people come to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. One is when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. We recognize that we don't have the right stuff to be accepted by God. That we are sinful before a God who is holy. And we are separated from him through a chasm that he breached when he came to Bethlehem. Running after us. And he went to Calvary on Good Friday and died on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead to bring us under the promise of eternal life and to demonstrate that he could deliver on that promise. And we humble ourselves. We acknowledge him as Lord. We acknowledge our inadequacy. We acknowledge our sinfulness. And he saves us. And he enters our life as we invite him in. And we come to see that in fact Jesus Christ is Lord of all. But there's another way that people come to recognize this. It is at the bitter end of a rebel life. Never Honest enough to recognize their great need, feigning to live autonomous from this one 
from whom they were borrowing breath. And when God the Father reveals the Son as the Lord of all the earth, it is then that they will bow down. In the horror of God's wrath and judgment in recognizing that, yes, Jesus Christ is Lord. Isn't that what Isaiah is saying? As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Every is repeated twice. And every tongue shall confess to God. That's the future. Now, shall we acknowledge him in time while he graciously reaches for us in the person of his son? Or with a rebel heart will you stand at the end and be struck down to your knees, having to confess before a holy God that reveals his son that Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory? Why not this morning? If you're here and you've never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to know that the Lord of all the earth will be revealed to all. And God yearns that you would open your heart, acknowledge your sin, humble yourself before the God who made you and who loves you and receive his son as your savior. Have you reached this place in your own spiritual journey that you've already begun a relatedness to Jesus Christ by faith? Has God brought you here? Wouldn't we remember it together? Eric, was it not right before Thanksgiving in 2023 that I receive Christ as my Savior. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. We either recognize him in life as our Savior or on the cusp of eternity as he is revealed as our judge. God will inexorably bring us to recognize Jesus Christ as Lord of all. It's either one way or another. Don't miss this. For the believer in Jesus, this is going to end very well. Now the future, secondly then, it holds the most important appointment we will ever have. Do you have your calendar at home where you log your visits and your appointments? Maybe it's on the refrigerator. Maybe it's on your phone. All your appointments are listed there. Are we considering our last appointment? At Dallas Seminary, when I was there... Uh, I finished my degree, and I was, our class was the first class that did not have to write a capstone thesis. You could if you wanted, or you could just take a two-hour course and finish the uh, allotted number of hours that you needed uh, for the four-year program. I chose the two-hour class rather than write a capstone thesis. Andy was pregnant. We were hustling to finish up. We were in a discussion about the privilege, the first privilege I had to be involved in pastoral ministry. It's like, hey, this is going to work out better if I don't do that. It was my choice. I could have that appointment with the committee defending my thesis or not. Dissimilar to that practice at Dallas Seminary. This is an appointment we can't get out of. This is not an elective. This is a requirement. And so there are three thoughts we need to think about this appointment because this can get a little confusing. Let's consider this appointment in three different directions. Number one, the judgment for our sin came on Good Friday. Because when you, when you read verse 10, for we will all 
stand before the judgment seat of God. When you read verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We ask ourselves, what in the world is that? And what's important to understand is that first, the judgment for our sin came on Good Friday. Think of 1 Peter 3.18. What did the cross mean, Eric? What happened on Good Friday? Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous, Jesus, for the unrighteous, those who believe in Christ. What was the result? That he might bring us to God. That we are brought to God, made acceptable in the merits of Christ's holy life, offered in the sacrifice of his death on our behalf. So that we can get to Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now. And I love this verse. I love the gospel. I love this, what this brings to our spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. You say, Eric, I, I feel guilty this morning. You feel guilty for one or two reasons. Number one, you don't understand the glory of the gospel. Our guilt was resolved on Good Friday. I love that word, once. Did you hear Peter's word? Christ also suffered once. Now, the second reason why you feel guilty is because you are guilty. And you have never submitted yourself to Jesus Christ, our Lord. And you can do that this morning. In the mercy of God, he will pour out his grace on you and enter your life. Be reconciled to God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do, we understand that this future appointment, Romans 14.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Romans 14.12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. It's not about our sin. Romans, Psalm 32, 1 and 2 is still true this morning, and it's as glorious as it was when David wrote it. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. The appointment is not about the question, did you sin in your life? The answer is yes. And if we know Jesus Christ as Savior, that was resolved on Good Friday. Still this morning, it is finished. The debt has been paid. So the judgment for our sin came on Good Friday and is not involved in Romans 14, 10, and 12. That's not what this standing before God is about. Now, secondly, then, the second thought is, believers in Jesus Christ will stand before God and give an account for the stewardship of our life, gifts, and opportunities. Think of Luke 19, 15, which was read this morning, the parable of the minus. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. How is the doing business of our lives as we walk with Christ going? That day will tell the day. Our second son is a lawyer 
after he graduated from Cedarville University, he had an internship before he matriculated into law school at a law firm. It was his first experience. He wanted to stick his toes in the water and get a feel for the whole thing. So he was hired by this firm to be a clerk for the summer. His sister accused him of having a job simply to water the plants. But um, one day he got into the elevator at the firm and uh, a partner, a litigator got in the elevator. You just have to know the persona of the lawyers. And so the elevator door shut and he looks at Ben and he said, what did you do today to justify your existence for this law firm? <laughs> you know? Now, that was uh, his way of being playful, but um, it, it got just a little edgy on that way down that morning. And what he was asking him was, how did you steward your day? What did you do? What did you do to help this place forward? What were you involved in? That's the nature, the temperament, the sort of appointment that shall emerge. We are all guardians not of the galaxy, but of the opportunities of life. I thought of the phrase, and maybe it's an old mountain phrase. I don't know. It's, it's kind of a derogatory remark. All he was a no account, it is said. That his life, the sum of it, represented no accounting of substantial contribution. He was a no account. Well, we are going to give an account of the kind of account that our life represented in our existence. What does this appointment deal with? It deals with how we have stewarded what is before us. By the way, how are you doing? How am I doing? In the federal government, for employment matters in the government. There's an agency called the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. They're trying to level the playing floor, have everything be fair, have there be no discrimination against any group. You know what? There's no EEOC in God's kingdom. By that I mean this. You've observed it with me. Not all of us are gifted in the same way. You've observed it with me. Not all of us have the same opportunities. But you know what? That's okay. Because I will not be accountable for your gifts. And I will not be accountable for how you faced your opportunities. I will simply, however small or however great, be responsible for the opportunities that were before me in the few days that I get in life, and so will you. We are all gifted, not all gifted equally. We don't always have the same opportunity. Remember John 21, 22? Peter says, hey, Lord, well, you know, what's it going to be for me? And the Lord begins to describe, you know, for Peter, uh, a little bit of a foreboding future in John 21, 22. And then he says, hey, Jesus, look, what about? What about John? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus, in John 21, 22, said, Peter, if I want John to live until I come back, what has that got to do with you? 
God has us all on different agendas. We all have different opportunities. We don't all have the same gift, but here's what's the same for all of us. It's the opportunity to be faithful in whatever it is, our gifts, and the opportunities that are before us. That's what's equal. It's an equal opportunity, I suppose, of then faithfulness. So the question becomes, how are we doing with our gifts? How are we doing with the opportunities that have been given to us? At a seminary professor, it just thundered through, or a college professor, just thundered through my mind this week as I thought of it. He always said, our stewardship is always about what we are doing with the stewardship of life, gift, and opportunity. Think of the parable of the minus. One got five, one got three, one got one. And it's what they did with that. Remember, it's required of a steward that he be found, that she be found faithful. The measure is faithfulness. This appointment is a faithfulness audit. Now notice the language that he uses in verse 12. So then each of us, pointing out that this is individual, each of us individually will give an accounting of himself or herself to the Lord. Twice, each of us, an accounting of himself. For we will, all of us, verse 10, stand before the judgment seat of our Lord. So that leads us to the third point. It's this. This assessment before God is about how we have been guardians of the prospect of faithfulness that came to our lives. You heard the ladies read well those passages, the Corinthian passages. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, judgment seat. You know, they unearthed the ruins of Ephesus. As much as this congregation travels, I bet some of you have walked the streets of Ephesus in a visit through the Greek cities. Well, they found a place next to the market, right down in the thoroughfare, they unearthed a rostrum. And it was a site of judicial proceedings called by how Roman law was set up, which ran the Greek city of Ephesus, it was a tribunal, a judicial table. It was called the judgment seat. It was where matters were settled, truth was told, and evidence was presented. The judgment seat. It's where defendants appeared. I had a professor at Dallas Seminary who, after one would read a verse like Romans 14, 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God, he would add, and this is not going to be a Sunday school picnic for some. It's quite an arresting thought. Now, there are formal legal categories for arrangements of guardianship and uh, custody. There's... uh, uh, You can have temporary custody. You can be the legal guardian of someone. You can be a custodian of their care. And some of those categories can come and go. 
What's amazing to think about is that all of us have temporary custody of our gifts and the opportunities that come. They come and then they go. Decades fly by. It is those who are taking advantage of the days that they have and with dollar cost averaging investments, day after day over time are accruing a full-bodied faithful life. It's not intermittent faithfulness, but they get out of bed knowing that they're not their own, that their life is the Lord's, and they want to, what he said earlier, honor him. And they want to give thanks. And they want to use their gifts and take advantage of the opportunities that God has brought in order to be faithful. Now, the central metaphor in the Gospels for the coming of Jesus and being ready for the coming of Jesus is, of course, a wedding. Now, uh, man, I'm sorry we were born in the wrong century. In the first century, the great hero of the wedding is the bridegroom. Everybody, nothing starts until the bridegroom gets there. And so the bride is charged to make herself ready for when the bridegroom comes, and that's when it all gets started. Now, dissimilar to that, in the Christian tradition of holy marriage, one man, one woman for life, in that tradition, the star is the bride. And oh, everybody waits for the bride to come. Here comes the bride, and she presents herself and is brought to the groom. Now, God gave us one girl, so we were involved very deeply while well, we've had three weddings when it's your daughter, you're involved more deeply than, than when it's your son. And, uh, oh, it was, it was so joyful. It's one of the greatest days of our, our family's life. Our friends have been so kind to us through the years, and it was just our chance to have a party with our friends, with our children, celebrating what God had done and bringing them together. We had a great day. Now, I learned a lot through that. Andy meticulously planned this with Abby, our daughter, for one year, and it was a very, very happy year. But I, I learned a lot. I learned of how meticulous the preparations are for a bride for the wedding day. In fact, there are things I learned that were absolutely essential for the wedding day that I, I was not anticipating. For example, that, that, that there, was, there was a great uh, house that was secured so that the, all the ladies in the wedding party could get ready for the pictures out on this beautiful lawn uh, before we went to the church uh, to be with our Lord and rehearse the promises and then came back to that beautiful lawn to the great reception area where we had a party into the evening to celebrate this joy. But I, I, I knew we had to, so we got the house, but we, we, we had to secure a hairdresser because it was important that every T was crossed and uh, every I was dotted and that every head look like a model head out of a magazine. And so we hired a hairstylist to come. And all oh, it was, I, I, I sampled what was going on. They were having so much fun together preparing for that. And then, but, but there was more. Uh, I, I, we had to hire a makeup artist because the visage of those ladies had to glow with the glory of unblemished wonder 
uh, for the pictures. And, and they, they, they were great. So we hired the makeup artist, and she was really good at her craft. And uh, she did this. And, um, and, and I don't begrudge anything. It, it was a wonderful, wonderful day. I thought of it this week. Because when Paul and when Jesus start talking about him coming back, he frames it in terms of a wedding. And of the bride adorned for her husband. And being ready for that appointment. Think of the uh, parable, the, uh, uh, the, the, the virgins who were not ready for the bridegroom when the bridegroom came. Are, are you ready for that appointment? Am I ready for that appointment? Paul is trying to make us ready. Matthew 25, 6, in the middle of that story that Jesus told about the ten virgins says this as the bridegroom was delayed they all became drowsy and slept but at midnight there was a cry here is the bridegroom come out to meet him then all the those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps and the foolish said to the wise give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out but the wise answered and said since there was not enough for us and for you Go rather to the dealers and buy it for yourself. They found themselves unprepared. How about us? A.W. Tozer wrote this about Romans 14, 12. What we need very badly these days is a company of Christians who are prepared to trust God as completely now as they know they must do at the last day. For each of us at that time, for each of us, the time is surely coming when we shall have nothing but God. Health and wealth and friends <clears throat> and hiding places will all be swept away and we shall have only God. To the man of pseudo-faith, it is a terrifying thought. But to real faith, it is one of the most comforting thoughts the heart can entertain. It would be a tragedy indeed to come to the place where we have no other but God and find that we had not been trusting God at all during the days of our earthly sojourn. It would be better to invite God now to remove every false trust, to disengage our hearts from all secret hiding places, and to bring us out into the open where we can discover for ourselves whether or not we really trust him. That is a harsh cure for our troubles, but it is a sure one. Gentler cures may be too weak to do the work, and time is running out on us. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Are you ready for that appointment? The glory of our gracious God is that God is ready to make us ready for that appointment as we take his grace. Growing up, I milked Jersey cows on my uncle's farm, and I loved it. And I loved my Uncle Dick, and he loved me, and he taught me so much. And I loved the discipline. I loved the banter in the milk house. It was a great experience. If you milk dairy cows, you don't go on vacation because every morning... They need milk. Every evening, they need milk, 365 days a year. So when his kids got a little older, my peers, when I was 16, he asked me to care for his cows for one week so he could go on vacation. He offered the whopping sum of $125 to pay me while I did this. That would seem like 10000 bucks to me, you know. This was his livelihood. And he was entrusting it to me, and he left. My mom encouraged me to hire my sister to help me. Worst employment decision I ever made in my life. 
she was afraid of the cows and sat on the heater all week. <laughs> I wanted her to wash her teeth so I could it, it, it speed up the efforts in the milk house to get things done. And she was afraid, you know, to do it. And then I said, well, handle the gate then, let them in and out. And she was afraid that, you know, they were going to get too close to the gate. And all oh, was a hot mess. But anyway, we lived through it. But swore to my own hurt and gave her $25. The milk inspector never comes during the night. He always shows up unannounced during the day. And I want to make sure if anything happened, things would go well. Never was a milk house cleaner than those seven days I took care of the milk house. Because I cleaned it out. Because if that milk inspector came, I wanted him to give my uncle a good mark. I love my uncle and he loved me and I wanted to please him. And so I remember that last morning, I thoroughly, you could have, eaten off the floor of the milk house and there's some awful things that happen on the floor of the milk house but I cleaned it out so well because I, I wanted it to be perfect in fact the last time I, I milked him that last afternoon I knew he was going to be back the afternoon or the evening I, I left the milking machines on just a little bit more I didn't want you know any cow to suffer from mastitis because I hadn't you know, drain the udder appropriately. And as I watched them leave the milk house, they'd come in eight at a time. You know, their udders looked like California raisins as they went out. And I thought, well, maybe I was a little overweening in my desire to get this done. But it was all about a desire and a yearning. My heart was beating to please him. I loved him. And he loved me. And I, I, I wanted him to be pleased with what he entrusted with me. This was his livelihood. He had bred them. He knew them all. There's a curve down the road you could see out a window in the milk house. And he was actually due back in the afternoon. And I remember on more than one occasion, there was a part of me. This is probably pride. But I wanted him to catch me in the act of being faithful. Because I yearned that he would come back and say, you know, Eric, you did okay. You did what I asked you to do. I entrusted to you something very important to me. And you handled it well. And I didn't want an award. I didn't want any more money. But I wanted him to be pleased. How much of that is in our hearts and is moving us to steward the gifts and the opportunities of life that are coming along? What do you need to say to the Lord this morning about that pending appointment that none of us will go without? Let's pray. Father, you know who's here this morning and you know what we need to deal with. Our lives are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Help us glorify you and our bodies in these very few years that we get to live. Lord, please hear us pray right now. My fear is that some would experience regret would think about what they're using their time for, would think about what they're using their money for, would think about how that whatever defined their life, it wasn't seeking first the kingdom of God and finding their highest joy and savor in knowing Jesus. Oh, but your grace is so rich. You're willing to get beside us this morning and help us forward. Hear us pray.
Lord, thank you for your love. This is not a contest of merit. We only relate to you by grace. But there's a yearning in many of our hearts to be faithful, and yet we feel our weakness. I do. I need your help. We need your help. Some people are making no plans for giving this account before you. Convict them. Some people are worried and bothered about so many things that the fear of God is far from their minds. Thank you for your grace. That's greater than our sin. That's greater than our indifference. That surmounts our dullness and brings us, because of your love for us, to love you and births a desire in our heart to please you so that on the great day it will be a feast of affection, a daughter for her father, a son for his father, one who loved us and gave himself for us. Praise be to God for Jesus Christ our Lord. God, make us ready for that day. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.